if a couple thinks that there's anything that they can't talk about mm-hmm. before they're married, there's anything they can't talk about because it might cause a rupture in the relationship, that's the sign that we need to talk about this. That's right. That's right. And if it causes a rupture in the relationship, better that that happened before they got married than after. Right. I can understand and, and empathize with the fear. Look, I've got months or years invested in this, and I'm afraid of what might happen. Mm-hmm. I understand that, but that's not a normal uh, right. Or a, a that's not a sign of readiness or, or competence for marriage. Let, let me ask you a, a, a question that, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't want to answer, but do you ever feel like that you're the bad guy? Like, hmm. like telling them, like, you see this couple, mm-hmm. they're cohabitating, they're desiring to get married uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously, you want what's best for them, mm-hmm. uh, and you see that there is an issue. And you have to lay. You have to tell them this. Do mm-hmm. you do you feel like you're kind of the, the 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 Debbie Downer or the you know the bad guy you know in in this whole thing bringing them bad it, news? It it can be the reason why the article ultimately why I wrote it was my own as a young priest, my own trying to process and understand uh, why do I feel like I'm causing harm to this couple if if they come. We have our appointment. I see that they have the same addresses. Uh, I understand from talking to them that they're living together. Why do I feel like I'm afraid to bring that up to them and to to ask them, what does this mean and how are you going to deal with it? Uh, And ultimately what I came to understand was that I was taking on responsibility that properly belonged to them. If a couple is... Uh, old enough and mature enough to in, to enter marriage, then they must be. They must be old enough and mature enough to deal with any issues that are in their relationship. And if my if uh, if they're living together before marriage, I already know that there's a problem. They may not believe that's a problem. That's also a problem, right? <laughs> and so. For me to to uh, be an effective pastoral minister in that setting, I need to point out to them, without taking responsibility for what's theirs, I need to point out to them, this is something that we're going to have to work with, work on and deal with. Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. Make sure you share this episode with all of your family and friends. Uh, Make sure you have the EOC magazine. This is like, I have to do this every episode because I'm in charge of the EOC. So I want to make sure everybody gets an EOC magazine. Uh, Reach out to us. We'd be happy to send you one free of charge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bishop, welcome back. It's it's good to be uh, back in studio again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Talking about marriage. Last week we talked about uh, the importance of the preparation of marriage starting from birth. Right. We were talking about marriage preparation. Well, 
because of the importance of the sacrament of marriage and because of the challenge that it is, it's not a default for people who are not going to be priests or religious. It's a vocation that God calls people to, to help them grow to holiness. Right. That's the point. Uh, and so, therefore, preparing for marriage, the fact that we see the, the number of marriages that we see that break up gives us an indication that there must be something about it that's challenging. Sure. It right. must not be as simple as maybe it looks. Uh, and so we should prepare well for it. Uh, we were talking about um, things that we can avoid that, that mm -hmm. get in the way. So we talked about sexual promiscuity and so forth. Um, we talked about discerning marriage. Uh, another uh, topic that comes up a lot of times uh, is uh, couples who are cohabiting, who have made the decision to live together as if they were married before they're married. Right. And that often is, that, that decision is often arrived at innocently. And by that I mean, uh, I'll give an example. When I was a priest in Austin, Texas, there was a psychologist in town who had an article that appeared in the paper uh, one year. And he was recommending to couples in that article if you're thinking about getting married, first, you should move in together and live together, but keep both of your apartments or homes. Second, uh, after some months, if things are, seem to be going well, then get rid of one of the apartments so that you don't have the back door to escape to. And if after some months of that, things seem to be going well, then go ahead and get married. Well... A young couple reading that from a psychologist might be thinking to themselves, oh, that's a very responsible thing, is to, quote, try it out, mm -hmm. see if it works. But uh, there, are, there are a number of problems with that approach. Uh, for Christians, that's what we were saying last week, the, the basis of all of this is our discipleship, our relationship with Jesus Christ. To enter into a sexual relationship with someone with whom I'm not married is sinful. And so if I'm uh, committing sin, I'm getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus. I'm impeding his ability to lead and guide me, not clearing the way for it. Secondly, though, even psychologically, it sets a couple up for failure because it causes them to think after some months of living together that they've now experienced what marriage will be. And we didn't fight every day, so it must be okay. And so then they enter into marriage and discover that, hey, we're fighting all the time, and they get divorced quickly. Why did that happen? The cohabiting relationship is, by definition, a relationship that has a back door. That's the point. We're going to try it on, knowing that we can escape out of it if it doesn't work, that's the point. Mm. Marriage is precisely a relationship that does not have a back door. Well, you do, you, when you die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, well, that's the front door. Yeah, that's against the front door. We're, we're aiming that way. That's we're right. going that way. That's right. But marriage is till death do us part. And if I've tried a relationship that actually is not till death do us part, right. and think that I've now experienced what till death do us part is like, 
then I'm going to be fooled. Uh, and and if you look at um, there's a long longitudinal study that's being carried on at Rutgers University under the title of the National Marriage Project. And they've been collecting sociological and, and uh, psychological data for a long time on the effects of cohabitation. And it demonstrates what we know from faith, that cohabiting is not marriage, it's not the same as marriage, and it gets in the way of marriage. It causes marriage to have a worse outcome. So a couple may have arrived at the decision to cohabit innocently and not know any of that when they approach the, the church for marriage preparation. Now, we talked last time about what we call remote marriage preparation. That's from birth till, till engagement, we right. could say. Uh, now we can talk about uh, what the church refers to as proximate marriage preparation. So that's in the late courting relationship or even the engagement, and now the lead up to the actual wedding itself. And couples typically approach the church to um, to to um, pardon me to help them with this uh, proximate marriage preparation. What the church wants to do is to uh, help the couple first make sure that there's no impediments, no canonical impediments. So the couple will meet with a priest, and he's going to go through a questionnaire with them. And the questionnaire will have all kinds of questions on it, some of which some of them might be surprising to the couple. Uh, but the questionnaire helps to determine that there's no canonical impediments. For example, if a, if a person has already been married, now to enter another marriage, if there's not been a declaration of nullity that shows that they would be free to marry, that's a canonical impediment. Because you can't be married twice. You can't be married well, twice. At the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Um, if the couple is too closely related in blood relationship, there's a canonical impediment. So there can be various kinds of canonical impediments. Uh, and then the next thing that the parish wants to help the couple do is encounter various kinds of resources, usually in the form of either mentor couples or... Uh, weekend engaged encounter retreats, books they might read, uh, other activities at the parish, uh, focus premarital inventories, things like these. These things are all designed to help a couple really explore more deeply than they may have to date their relationship and their own individual and then as a couple resources to be successful in marriage. The uh, Focus Premarital Inventory is an excellent uh, tool that helps a couple ask themselves and, and, and um, uh, deal with questions that over, say, the first few years of marriage they would eventually come to, Right. but they get to do it before they even enter into marriage. Mm -hmm. Often people refer to it as a compatibility uh, test. In terms of the way we understand marriage, it's not about compatibility primarily. It's about resources, ability, and commitment, mm -hmm. freedom of consent, understanding the consent that I'm giving. 
so that's why we go through that, that uh, six-month period. And that's why if a couple is already cohabiting, the priest or pastoral minister is rightly going to stop at that and uh, try to help the couple understand there's a problem here. It may not be a canonical impediment, but it is a problem. Uh, there's a discrepancy between what you say is the reason why you're approaching the church for marriage, which, why you're getting married in the church, and how you're actually living right now. Uh, I would often talk with couples and first talk to them about their relationship with the Lord, their faith life, as a way of both getting to know them, but also trying to understand what is the foundation beneath which you're coming to, to do marriage preparation. And if a couple is talking to me about their, uh, their devout Catholic faith and their desire to uh, share that faith with each other and to raise their children in the faith and so forth, but they're already cohabiting, they're already living together in a sexual relationship, then it's important for them to be able to recognize and see how that's a discrepancy because a sexual relationship prior to marriage is a relationship that has sin in it and in a way that is going to get in the way of their marriage. Um, so they need to be able to deal with that. The ideal solution to that is to return to freedom and autonomy those are the conditions out of which a person should discern marriage, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not uh, being entrapped, mm -hmm. uh, not feeling pressure. Freedom and autonomy, which is found in a separate living relationship, where now both of us return to a way, a, a state of living, in which we are free to move away from this relationship if we decide to. They may be deeply committed and in love, and would never decide to, that's fine, that's not the point. The point is we could if we wanted to, so that our decision not to, <coughs> bless you. Sorry. <laughs> so that our decision not to is a decision that's being made in freedom. Right. In, in this article that you, that you wrote, uh, you mentioned in here, we have a lot of priests in the diocese that, that watch the show, and uh, you mentioned here that you had a unique sign or unique bulletin insert that you uh, put in there to, like you said, you were, the importance of uh, removing all impediments. Uh, but for marriage prep, you had a unique bulletin insert in there. Yeah, I was advising uh, priests, myself at the time being a, an associate pastor, um, that it's sort of a kindness in a way. It's a, it's a pastoral ministry and service to all of our parishioners and to couples to make it more publicly known and publicly aware that cohabitation is a, is a uh, creates a, a complexity, a difficulty for marriage preparation and will need to be dealt with in the marriage preparation so that they would hopefully, uh, knowing that and having grown up knowing that, and maybe they were told by their family members that because their family members read it on the bulletin cover, they would know that, okay, we're thinking about living together before marriage. Oh, I remember that that's a problem for marriage preparation, so let's don't do that because we are thinking about getting married. Uh, 
So it's a service in that respect that it helps a couple to know we shouldn't, you know, cohabitation is something that's become very common in our culture. Right. But like many things in our culture, it's not something that is uh, common to our religion. And so we shouldn't engage in it. Yeah, and I think because, I mean, obviously the church teaches it, but even, even like you said, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, they, they're they even telling, saying, like, listen, this is not a good thing if you're wanting your marriage to to last. Mm-hmm. And so in this article, you, you mentioned that when weak marriages end in divorce, the church is harmed and the institution of marriage is weakened. Mm-hmm. And so the church, by the desire of strengthening the church and, you know, a building up marriages to, to last, they have a vested interest in making sure mm-hmm. that they're going to go the distance, so to speak, you know, to, sure. to live out the vocation of marriage. Sure. And, and, and we should clarify here that for couples who experience the pain of divorce, the church has complete and total sympathy mm-hmm. and, and wants to help such couples to recover from the tragedy of, of this uh, divorce. And there's not a sense at all in saying we're blaming or, or anything like that. Definitely not a sense at all of saying to anyone who has experienced the pain of divorce that somehow you're lesser or you're not welcome in the church or anything like no, that. No, we everybody def- is welcomed in the church. We definitely want to uh, reach out to them and to dispel all of that. But it is a recognition that if I can see ahead of time, ahead of the marriage, conditions that might later result in the breakup of the marriage, I should do everything in my part as a pastoral minister to clear those things up before the marriage goes forward. The couple may not see them. Uh, The couple may not understand why these things could cause a problem in the marriage later. But if I do as the pastoral minister, because I have the research, for example, from the National Marriage Project or because of just pastoral experience, I see it, Mm -hmm. then I should do my part and step in and say, look, we really do need to look at this, deal with this, talk about this. Um, Sometimes couples don't want to. They're afraid that if they try to deal with this, it's going to cause a rupture in their relationship. Well, that's... There's some light being shined here. That's a big red flag. If a couple thinks that there's anything that they can't talk about Mm -hmm. before they're married, there's anything they can't talk about because it might cause a rupture in the relationship... That's the sign that we need to talk about this. That's right. That's right. And if it causes a rupture in the relationship, better that that happened before they got married than after. Right. I can understand and and empathize with the fear. Look, I've got months or years invested in this, and I'm afraid of what might happen. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but that's not a normal... uh, Or a, a, that's not a sign of readiness or, or competence for marriage. Let, let me ask you a, a, a question that, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't want to answer, but do you ever feel like that you're the bad guy? Like, hmm. like telling them, like, you see this couple, mm-hmm. they're cohabitating, they're desiring to get married uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously, you want what's best for them, mm-hmm. uh, and you see that there is an issue. 
and you have to lay you have to tell them this do mm -hmm. you do you feel like you're kind of the 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 Debbie Downer or the you know the bad guy you know in in this whole thing bringing them bad it, news it it can be the reason why the article ultimately why I wrote it was my own as a young priest my own trying to process and understand uh, why do I feel like I'm causing harm to this couple if if they come we have our appointment. I see that they have the same addresses. Uh, I understand from talking to them that they're living together. Why do I feel like I'm afraid to bring that up to them and to, to ask them, what does this mean and how are you going to deal with it? Uh, and ultimately what I came to understand was that I was taking on responsibility that properly belonged to them. If a couple is... Uh, old enough and mature enough to in, to intermarriage, then they must be, they must be old enough and mature enough to deal with any issues that are in their relationship. And if my, if, uh, if they're living together before marriage, I already know that there's a problem. They may not believe that's a problem. That's also a problem. Right. <laughs> and so... For me to, to uh, be an effective pastoral minister in that setting, I need to point out to them, without taking responsibility for what's theirs, I need to point out to them, this is something that we're going to have to work with, work on and deal with. Um, I recommended in the article that priests not set a date with a couple for when the marriage would happen, until they've made sure that there's no other impediments and that there's no foreseeable problems, this is a foreseeable problem. And so the couple needs to deal with it in an effective way mm -hmm. uh, before we set the date. The reason for that, again, has to do with the good of, of the couple. Once the date is set, then all the focus goes towards getting ready for that date. Right. And it's, date, uh, yeah. it, it becomes harder... Be particularly because dealing with this issue may take some time. Mm -hmm. And if I'm thinking, no, we, we want to be married next summer, for sure, next summer. Well, if there's a problem and I've got a date, then I'm more likely to overlook the problem. Right. And to say, look, that's not a problem. We've got to get ready for this. Whereas if there's not a date, then I'm freer. The couple is freer. Mm-hmm to say, okay, let's talk about this. Let's look at it. So what would you say, there's somebody's watching right now and they're uh, considering marriage according uh, somebody and they're, they're, they're engaged mm -hmm. and they are living together. Mm -hmm. How would, what advice would you give them to talk? Like how do, how do they go about talking to the other person mm -hmm. um, and saying, we need to, we need to make a change? Like, mm -hmm. What does that look like? Well, uh, first, I would, I would counsel them out of experience that I myself had. Uh, what I found was that it's almost never the case that the couple said, we know this is something that is contrary to our faith and contrary to the teaching of the church. Let's go ahead and do it. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's not what happens. Typically, what happens is the couple is trying to be responsible. And so, for example... They recognize, look, we're going to get married, 
um, let's begin to save money. Let's begin to get ready for setting up a house, et cetera, whatever the reasons would be. And that's what causes them to decide, we're spending money on two apartments right now. Let's go ahead and move in so we can save money for a house. Okay. How does every other couple save money for a house? You see? So mm -hmm. we don't want to have a kind of tunnel vision that develops in which they say, this is the only thing we can do. Every other couple is not doing that. Right. And they also have to save money for a house. So it's not necessary to do that. We have already done it. What should we do now? Now what we should do, what I would counsel the couple, is to seek once again freedom. Seek once again to establish a relationship based in freedom. We're together, not because we live in the same apartment and I don't have a place to go, but because we want to be together. And we're together in Christ because we each want to be faithful to Him mm -hmm. in the way that we live our relationship together. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we now want to move back into two apartments. So now we're free again. And often, you know, it was, it was a challenge for the couple. All right. What about one of you moving in with a parent or with a friend? Could you get a roommate for a while? Uh, just find some way. We're smart, creative people. We're about to, you know, we're fully employed and we're about to get married. We should be smart and creative enough to figure out how can we get ourselves out of a relationship that causes a problem for our marriage preparation. That that would be the kind of advice that I would have for them. Very good. Uh, we'll we'll put the. Uh the article and the show notes that way they can they can take a look at it we can also you know push this out uh, on our email blast so if you're not if you don't have uh getting diocesan emails you can you can go to dioceseoftulsa.org and sign up for those there's also this little QR code on the cover of the EOC magazine that if you click on that QR code all you have to do is type in your email and you will start getting the diocesan emails Almost like we set it up that way. Couldn't be better. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. We'll see you next week. Follow and subscribe in your podcast app for updates and notifications when new content is released. And thank you for listening. Together, our faith goes further.